You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. We'll throw in, make healthy the feet that had surgery. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Everybody say in the wilderness. Say in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, not jackalins, jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Remember that, the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And this is good news for all of us. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed, remember that, the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And now we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And now, I hate to ask you to do this, but would you all stand one more time as we have our gospel reading for Advent Week 3. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? 
Behold, those who, fear, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. So uh, as Ian is putting on the screen right now, our title for our Advent uh, series is Awake the Dawn. And as we talk about, you know, in the, in the small sense, uh, David says, I will awake the dawn, which means he's going to get up so that he happens to the day, so that the day doesn't happen to him. And then in the biggest possible picture, Jesus wants us to be ready for his return. He wants us anticipating his return and living lives that look like we know that Jesus is coming back to shine his light on the life that we have lived. And if that scares you a little, it's supposed to. It's a little scary to imagine if, like, imagine being at work and the boss walks in. You're like, oh, yeah, no, no, we're doing a lot of hard work. And, like, you put away, you know, your romantic novel that you're reading or something like that. Uh, I don't know who I'm talking about. That wasn't specific. It was just a thought that passed through my head. Uh, when Jesus comes back, we're not going to be able to put anything in a drawer. We're not going to be able, he's, he's in the drawer, he's in the office, he was 10 minutes ago, and he's 10 minutes from now when he shows up, right? And so we have to live lives knowing that he's coming back to look at what we've done and shine his redeeming light, his fiery light, his merciful light, which is also his judgmental light on our lives. So in Advent and in Lent, we're talking about two different kinds of darkness. You ready? Advent darkness is 5 a.m. darkness. And Lent darkness is 5 p.m. darkness. 5 a.m. darkness is a darkness that is starting to get light. And 5 p.m. darkness is a darkness that is getting darker. So remember Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, even at noon the sun goes down, right? So in Advent, we're preparing for the light to come. In Lent, we're preparing for what, for why darkness even shows up at all. So I'm going to say that again. In Advent, we're preparing for light to come. And during Lent, we're preparing to see why darkness comes at all, which is why it's a season of repentance. But right now we're in Advent, so let's not skip ahead. Christmas has yet to come. We're preparing for it. And we're in Advent week three of four. So we're in 5 a.m. light. It's dark but you can tell that the sun is just getting ready to come up, that everything is going to wake up. There's going to be noise in homes. There's going to be traffic. There's going to be people on the street. Life is about to start. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to come back. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are you doing to start the day to awake the dawn of the resurrection of all things? It's a lot of information so far, and we haven't even begun to go through the information today. Advent themes. We said this last week. Ian's going to uh, do exactly what he did last time I spoke, which was excellent. There are contemporary themes, there are orthodox themes, and then there are themes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The contemporary themes for Advent for the four weeks are hope, peace, 
joy, and love. The Orthodox themes for the four weeks are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer's four themes that he compiled as he was in a concentration camp are waiting, mystery, redemption, and incarnation. Rather than choose, we're going to talk about how they all work together. So today, we're going to be talking about how redemption mediates the relationship between joy and heaven. So what is the relationship between redemption, joy, and heaven? And then towards the end, since Bishop Q did an amazing job last week, everybody put your hands together for Bishop Quentin Moore. Man, my bishop was here and he handled business. Couple things to say though. I'm not a control freak. He called me a control freak. I'm not a control freak. It's funny because somebody who calls you a control freak is really somebody saying you should be doing what you're doing a different way, which kind of makes them a control freak. No? Am I, am I stretching? Fine. I'm not, but if he says I'm a control freak, I'm a control freak. It's fine. Uh, we do have a doxology. It's the closing of the service. Ron Green does the doxology for 10 minutes every time he closes at the end of the service. Am I right? Love you, Ron. You're the best. And not everybody watches from home in their underpants. I had pants on the whole time, and I have pants on right now. So, Bishop Q, I love you. But let's fact check this a little bit. I'm just kidding. I love you, Bishop Q. He did a great job. He talked about peace. I had a lot of peace while he was preaching. I really did. I felt it in my spirit. I felt like a, a, a person that we can see as a father figure was loving the church. And I know he loves preaching to you as much as he loves preaching to his own church at home. This guy was at my house, Salem, sitting on the floor, playing with our kids, helping us around the house. I mean, they are such a legit family. I'm so, I'm so pleased and so happy that they're part of our church. Okay, so today we're going to talk about redemption, joy, and heaven, and why those things go together, and why it's a little surprising how they go together. So we're going to start with a quote, and this quote is going to send us into everything we're talking about today. The quote is this. Advent makes us look for God in all those places we have until now ignored. I'm going to read it one more time. It's by <clears throat> Joan Chittister from a book called The Liturgical Year. Advent makes us look for God in all those places we have until now ignored. This is why Jesus told us to pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Salem, we all have a tendency that when things go wrong, we have a tendency to look away at something else and assume that if something else happened, things would get better. If I just moved to a different town, if I moved to a different house, if I had one more bedroom, if I made 10,000 more a year, if I was with a different person, if I had different kids, can I get a witness from somebody? If I had kids at all, if I had different kids, if I had a spouse, if I had a different spouse, we constantly are looking beyond what's going wrong because we think that something else will make everything better. In the 2019 BBC version of A Christmas Carol, which you should all see, it's very, very dark, Scrooge is yelling at Bob Cratchit and he says, he says to Bob Cratchit, I don't understand why all these kids have advent calendars. They look at a calendar and then their parents tell them that if they look a little bit closer behind the calendar, there's a door that can open, and there's a piece of candy for you. 
And Bob Cratchit is like, how could you possibly not like that? And Scrooge says this, he said, it teaches kids that if they look closer at this world, they'll find candy. When in reality, if they look closer at this world, they'll just find more evil. That's a Scrooge mentality. A Scrooge mentality is a mentality that says, I need to go someplace else, be with someone else, move to a different place, hope that Jesus raptures me away somewhere from the world that he bled and died for. It's a Scrooge mentality to want to escape. It's a Christ mentality that says, look closer at what's going wrong. Don't run from it. Look deeper into it. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because somehow I've looked deeper into this shroud of death and I know you are with me. Advent makes us look for God in all those places we have until now ignored. Jesus said, heaven is in the midst of you. You have to look deeper within yourself. What does it say in Isaiah? The wilderness will be glad. Streams will break forth in the desert. In the narrative, you go from Egypt and you need to leave Egypt to go to the wilderness and then you need to leave the wilderness to go to the promised land. But in the new heavens and new earth, we don't leave anywhere. It comes to us. Streams in the desert, the desert will blossom, Lebanon will rejoice, the glory will be in the desert. God is going to redeem the desert with heaven. He's going to redeem Egypt with heaven. You don't have to move, we only have to wait because thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth in the wilderness as it is in heaven. If you leave the wilderness trying to find streams, you'll end up finding more wilderness because all the streams went into the desert. Think about what I just said. If you leave the desert trying to find streams, you'll only find desert because the streams are breaking forth in the desert. You can't leave the pain and suffering. You can't leave what's going wrong. You can't leave. You look deeper into what is happening. Look deeper into your frustration about your job. Look deeper into your frustration about yourself. Look deeper into that relationship that's on the rocks. Look deeper into life's disappointments and the things that you thought you, you wanted to have that you don't have or the things that you do have that you never wanted to have. Look deeper into those things. Don't run from them. Look deeper into them because like an advent calendar, if you open enough doors and go deeper and deeper and deeper, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. I hope you're putting your hands together. I hope you're clapping. I hope this is exciting. This message is just kind of a little bit of popcorn for you. This message is a hopeful message that says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to the anxious heart, you will be calm. Why is Isaiah saying that the body, the broken, weighted down under stress and strained body, what's gonna make it come alive again? Not being in a new place, but knowing that heaven is coming into the place that you're in, right? Not looking for new things, but knowing that he's making all things or old things new again. It strengthens our body when we know that we don't have to go someplace else for God to show up, that he's coming to where we are. We're going to talk, we're going to get even deeper into this in a second. But here, I'm going to give you a little bit of a break now to process what I'm saying here. 
Salem, you're such a good church. I feel like I'm with you right now, even though it's not even Sunday where I am. And I'm only looking at Ian, who is a handsome dude, and I'm happy he's here. But I, I feel you. I feel you. I, I, this is really amazing, the kind of relationship that we have with each other. Okay, Ian's going to put up on the screen right now a clip, and he's going he's gonna to put it up. And it's, a, it's just a picture from the 2019 BBC Christmas Carol. And this is when Scrooge is in the Ghost of Christmas Future. And in the Ghost of Christmas Future, he's finding out that Tiny Tim dies. And the way that Tiny Tim dies is he falls through ice. And because his legs don't work, he can't get himself out of the ice. I know this picture's a little bit dramatic. We're going to take it off in a second, but Ian, still leave it up there. In this moment, the cinematography is amazing. Scrooge is in his office where all of his sins were committed. Where all of his greed happened. And then his ceiling becomes the ice that Tiny Tim falls through. And now Tiny Tim has fallen through the ice, but they depict it as if Tiny Tim is in Scrooge's office while he's drowning. Okay, Ian, you can take that off the screen now. This is amazing because what they're depicting in this moment is that Scrooge's office and the way he's conducted his finances has been disaster for everybody, especially for children. His business ventures have created poor working conditions and labor houses for children. And this clip, the picture that you just saw, depicts how his office is not a safe place for humanity, especially for children. But that also shows Scrooge in this very moment that a change doesn't mean a change of location. It means, can my office go from being a place that financially exploits families to a place that blesses families? And that's exactly what he does. We all know how the story ends. Scrooge uses his fortune and his counting house. He doesn't close it down. He uses it for the good. And it says at the end that he became like a second father for Tiny Tim. And he knew how to keep Christmas. And it's because, it's not because he moved to a new place or got a new job. It's because redemption changed the location. It happened in the place of the sin, in the place of the wreckage, in the place of the disaster comes heaven. It grows in that place. So joy only happens when brokenness is redeemed. Joy is not an emotion you can choose. Joy is the reality that what is broken is healing again. Which means the only, re the only way we can have joy is if what is broken heals. And the only way that we can have joy is if we keep looking at what is broken. Because that's where the healing comes. If we ignore what's broken, if we put our heads in the sand, if we say, Pastor, I can't stand Advent. Why aren't we singing Christmas carols? Why isn't it happier? Because stuff's going on in the world, and I didn't want to use the word stuff just now. Things are happening all over the place in the world. And we have to realize it's 5 a.m. It's not noon yet. It's 5 a.m. Jesus is coming, but when his light shines, it's going to shine on the good, and it's also going to shine on the broken, and it's going to heal the good, and it's going to heal the broken as well. The Matthew text. God, I want everybody to hear this. John the Baptist in prison. His whole career is predicated on saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His whole career was pointing Jesus out, and now he's in prison. 
Life has not worked out the way John wanted it to. He's now joined a long list of prophets who are going to be killed for proclaiming the name of the Lord. And he has doubt. And he needs assurance. And he's in prison. And notice what it says in the text. When John saw and heard all that Jesus was doing, he said, are you the one? We all read that text like John was upset by what Jesus wasn't doing. But it says when he saw what Jesus was doing, that he needed reassurance. See, Salem, it's not what God isn't doing that bothers us the most. It's what God is doing that bothers us the most. It's not that God isn't giving the Pharisees and the Sadducees more money. It's that he's saying that the widow who gave the two pennies, she gave the most. It's not that God isn't forgiving that everybody's upset about. It's who he's forgiving that everyone's upset about, right? We're not upset that God, you know, we're not saying, God, when are you going to show us your throne? We're upset that his throne is a cross. It's always what God is doing that bothers us. And so if you're asking me, what, what, what makes me ask what John the Baptist asked is, God, I see and hear that you're entering suffering, but why the suffering at all? I'm glad that you're meeting us in our suffering, but why is there suffering? That's my question. So what does he do? He's in prison and he, he asks his disciples, career suicide here, he asks his disciples to go say, are you really the one or should we look for another? And his disciples hear from Jesus and they come back and they say to John, yes, he's the one, the, eye, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the mute speak, and the poor have good news preached to them. And now John is one of the poor having the good news preached to him in prison. You see, the location doesn't change, but the good news comes into the prison. Streams break forth in the prison. The prison sprouts and becomes a garden when the good news of the gospel enters it. John doesn't need to change locations. The, the best location comes to him. The good news enters the prison. And this changes things for the rest of history. Listen to this in Acts chapter 16. We all know these verses, especially if you're Pentecostal. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, everybody say open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, everybody say free. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, everybody say open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed into the prison. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? The handcuffs come off. The prison doors open. And nobody leaves the prison. The jailer turns on the lights in the morning and he says, oh no, I'm, they're going to they're gonna torture me. I'd rather kill myself. Oh, I've lost all the prisoners. And Paul says, we are all still here. Not just Paul and Silas, Salem. 
everyone was still there. Why? Because the prison had become a garden. Because streams broke forth so strong, so powerfully, so mightily, that they didn't know the difference between being in prison and not being in prison. They all inexplicably stayed in prison, and the jailer, to get saved, doesn't run out of the prison. He runs into the prison and says, what must I do to be saved? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? There isn't a situation that you could be in, whether it's an actual prison, whether it's a prison of grief, whether it's a prison of financial debt, whether it's a prison of low self-esteem, depression, disorders, divorce, abuse, trauma, whatever prison you're in, it's, we don't need to exhaust ourselves trying to leave the prison. Jesus and the gospel and the resurrection and the light of God flood its way all the way into the prison and the prison becomes so freeing you can't tell the difference between being in it or out of it. Even the prisoners who heard Paul and Silas singing, they stayed too. They were affected by streams that break forth in the dark places. Stop looking to the inn to think it's better. Run to the barn. The inn is crowded with people trying to find a better life, but the barn is where Jesus is. Right? Stop trying to get out of all of the prisons we find ourselves in. The gospel comes in. The resurrection narratives, every one of them, shows us running into the tomb, not Jesus coming out of it, but us running into the tomb and seeing now that the place of death has become a church. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's the mercy seat, there's announcements, there's singing, there's light. Easter Sunday, death becomes church. The tomb becomes a sanctuary in the place of death. He invites us into death. And as St. Augustine has said, as Robert Jensen has said, as the famous Dr. Chris Green has said, Jesus' life has transformed and converted the use of death. Death used to end things, now it's just a door into a greater life. And I also want you to hear this, Salem. Every, you, this isn't the end of the sermon, but just close your eyes for a second, just a second. While John is in prison saying, are you really the one? Jesus is out telling thousands of people that no one born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. While you're at your lowest point, you can open your eyes. While you're at your lowest point thinking the worst of yourself, Jesus is out there saying that no one has been born of a woman greater than you. While you are in the dungeon of your own doubt, Jesus is out there praising you, glorifying you, shining his light on you, speaking a better word over you than you could ever speak over yourself, calling things out of you that you didn't even know were in you, saying things about you to other people that you would never even think of about yourself in your most arrogant moments. Sometimes the prison we're in, for some of you listening right now, sometimes the prison you're in is the prison of your own self. And Jesus enters the prison of you. And he says, I could look at you all day. No one makes me more proud. No one makes me happier to be God than you do. 
That's what he's saying. So sometimes maybe we don't have to look into a prison. Maybe we don't have to look deeper into an argument or a bad season we're having or multiple surgeries. Maybe the scariest place that we have to look is deeper into ourselves. And when we look deeper into ourselves, we won't find the garbage that we think is there. We will find Jesus saying, I'm so proud to be in this person's life. I'll make my home here. This is why the James text says, don't grumble. Why? Because the latter rain hasn't come yet. Jesus came once. That was the early rain. Jesus is going to come again one day. That's the latter rain. In between now, in between the early rain and the latter rain, we get showers and sprinkles and sun showers and rainstorms to remind us that the latter rain is coming. But your life has not received the latter rain yet. And so we grumble because we look at our life and we assume our relationships, our marriage, our parenting, our friends, our accomplishments, our home, our clothes. We assume that all these things are supposed to be everything they were meant to be, but the latter rain hasn't come yet. James says, like a farmer waits for the early and the latter rain. We should wait for the latter rain. Because our life isn't what it will be when the latter rain comes. So we don't complain about our lot in life. We don't grumble about some of us wish we had a better job. Some of us wish we were retired already. And, so, and no matter which side of that you're on, you always see it better on the other side. Ah, if I was just retired, my life would be better. Ah, if I just had a better job or something to do, I'd be better. If I had a better relationship, it'd be better. No. Just wait for the rain to fall on your life. The early rain has fallen in the birth of Jesus. The latter rain is coming. Salem, we can see the clouds of the latter rain getting ready to come. And every day, showers, sprinkles come to just keep us ready for the rest of the rain. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and then we're going to get ready to close. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, And then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault, that is all. God is in the manger. Wealth is in poverty. What is he saying? He's saying that we have a tendency to look at our life and say, oh my gosh, it's terrible. And he's saying, maybe it is terrible. But Jesus has been born into that terribleness. Jesus runs to the trauma. He runs to the exhaustion. He runs to the doubt. He brings streams into the desert so that the desert is confused about what it is. Am I the promised land or am I the wilderness? And God's answer is yes. Yes, I reign in the wilderness. I bring streams in the desert. At this time, I'm going to ask Courtney Behrens to come to the lectionary podium. And she's going to read Luke chapter 1 verse 46 to 55. She's going to read Mary's song to you because everything that I'm saying, I only have three sentences left to say after this, but everything I just said 
And then the little bit I'm going to say in a moment hinges on Mary's song. Please listen with your spirit to the words that Courtney is going to read. Hello. I'm not Courtney. I'm Naomi. Uh, unfortunately, Courtney's not feeling well today, so she wasn't able to be with us, so pastor asked me to fill in. So, A reading from the Gospel of Luke 1, 46 through 55. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The word of the Lord. Worship team, you can make your way up right now. Salem, I want you just to take a deep breath and listen to what we're saying here. We need to be judged by God so that we cannot just have streams in the desert, so that we can just not only have good news in prison, so that we can be streams in the desert for other people and be the good news in the prisons of other people's lives. Well, pastor, what do you mean we have to be judged? Listen, joy and heaven come because of redemption, not because of effort, not because we did everything right, not because we found the secret code and now we live the most moral life ever, not because we've gotten rid of all of our bad friends and now we're so pristine and clean. No, joy comes and heaven comes because broken things are redeemed. And that is also judgment. Judgment in the world is a bad, bad thing. We don't know how to judge people. You know why? Listen to me carefully. When we judge people, if I judge Ian, who's sitting right behind the camera, if I judge Ian right now, I'm telling Ian the kind of person that he is, and I'm pronouncing a sentence on him that you will always be this kind of person, Ian. We don't know how to judge. Our judgment is wrong because all our judgment does is label people. Our judgment labels people. God's judgment transforms people. God's judgment is when he says who we really are. And who we really are breaks out of the fallen person that we've become. So listen, in the Isaiah text, it says, A highway of holiness will be in the wilderness. It will be called the way of holiness or the way that makes holy. And it says, No ravenous beast will be upon it. Now listen to this. We can't let these verses skip by us. It says, no ravenous beast will be on the highway. You want to know why? Well, let's think of what a ravenous beast might be. The wolf. The wolf is a ravenous beast. Ever watch Yellowstone? The wolf is a ravenous beast. So are you saying that the wolf will no longer be on the highway? The wolf will be on the highway. 
Because Isaiah has said a few chapters ago that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. So listen, it's not that God's getting rid of the wolf. It's that the wolf will no longer be ravenous. He's going to judge the wolf so that the ravenousness is taken out of the wolf. So the wolf is no longer a predator, but a playful friend to the lamb. Are you saying that he's going to get rid of all the swords? No, he's not going to get rid of all the swords. He's going to beat them. Everybody say beat. Everybody say punish. Everybody say judgment. He's going to beat them, but his beating of them is going to turn them into plowshares. He's not going to get rid of the sword. He's going to judge it until it becomes a plowshare. Okay, so does he love wolves and swords more than he loves us? No. So when it says no unclean will be on the road, what does that mean? But that his judgment is going to judge us so that it, what is unclean is cleansed. Isaiah will later call it the refiner's fire or fuller's soap. Fire and soap. Think about what we've done with fire and soap. We've made fire what you're going to burn in if you don't accept Jesus. And we've made soap the thing that my mom used to put in my mouth when I cussed. When I said, darn it. When I said, friggin'. Aha. Uh -huh. She would put soap in my... Actually, I said worse things. She would put soap in my mouth. But soap is meant to cleanse, not to make you vomit. And fire is meant to refine, not to torture. So God's fire and God's soap don't burn us alive or make us vomit. They cleanse and refine us. Everybody clap your hands in the room. His judgment's better than our judgment is. And how do we know that from Mary's song? She says, he brought down the thrones of the mighty and he lifted up those of humble estate. So if you were an arrogant politician on the throne of your own corruption, he cast you down to the ground. And then all the people who were exploited and who were oppressed by them, he raises up. But now that he's taken the mighty and cast them down, who are they now? They're now the low and those of no estate. And so what does he do? He lifts them up. He, he takes the mighty and throws them down so that he could lift them up new again. It's easier to see the other way. The rich he has sent away empty and the hungry he has fed. He sends the rich away empty so that they become the hungry so that he could feed them. He doesn't get rid of anybody. He just gets rid of those things that make us deceived into not seeing him or ourselves the right way. And it all happens because Mary said, he looked at me. He looked at me. God is always looking for heaven, which means he's always looking at you. And he looks at you and he sees heaven. Salem, I struggled this week because I wanted to be where you are. I wanted to preach this message. I love this message. This is one of my favorite messages. I love this message. I wanted to preach this message up on the pulpit. And I realized I don't want to look to where I want to be. 
I know that God is doing amazing things for me here in my little exile, in my little prison, and the fact that I haven't, I've only been outside like five times since November 6th. And instead of saying, I wish I could be there, I wish I could do this, I wish I could have went tree chopping, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that. No, I see God doing some amazing things in the place where I'd rather not be. I love my home and I love my family, but my God, I've been around him a long time. Salem, where you are is where heaven is coming. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If anyone, anyone lived out this message, it's Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, he looked deep into the darkness of that night and he gave thanks. And he looked at the bread and then he looked deeper at the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you, broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he looked deeper into the chalice, a chalice of wine that had been being celebrated for a thousand years. He looked deeper into the tradition, deeper into it. And he said, this is actually, and it's always been, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. And so Salem, look at the cup in front of you. There's just wafers in it. But we're going to pray that something amazing happens to those wafers because we believe that God enters things and does amazing work with it. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Descend on this congregation, Father God. Forgive us of our sins and anoint us for the task of the ministry to bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit everywhere we go and every minute we live. In your name we pray. Amen. Salem, I'm going to ask Elder George and I'm going to ask uh, Elder Bill if they would come up each and they can take the dish and you can come down on your respective sides. But please leave this room knowing that you don't need to look farther than the situation you're in because that's where heaven's going to show up. Streams in the desert and then you can be somebody's streams in the desert or good news in prison. You can be that for people. Salem, I love you so much. I pray that I will see you next week. Receive communion. Worship with us one more time. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.